Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. As I record this podcast, we are blown away by all of your support. I just first want to say thank you for those of you that bought the MAGA Doctrine. And also, if you guys are interested, uh, the new book, MAGA Doctrine, if this is the first podcast you're listening to and you haven't heard about it yet, got a new book out called The MAGA Doctrine, The Only Ideas That Will Win the Future. Please check it out. On that note, we are so pleased to offer you an exclusive conversation that I had with the one, the only, the incredible Eric Metaxas. It's a wide-ranging discussion. You guys will love it. Buckle up. Enjoy. Thanks so much, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Charlie Kirk, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. It's such an My honor. My friend, it just when I talk to you, like I just think... I. The challenge will be to shut up because we we uh, we understand each other so well, and I I just get so excited. But let's be really specific. You have a new book out called the MAGA Doctrine. MAGA d- does that stand for anything? Well, here's the big debate. Well, it says make America great again, but is it MAGA or MAGA? Is it MAGA or MAGA? So Judge Metaxas has to break the tie. Yeah. <laughs> is it MAGA or MAGA? It's definitely. MAGA. MAGA? I agree. So like magazine, I think it's MAGA. MAGA, MAGA. Okay. The MAGA Doctrine, the only ideas that will win the future by Charlie Kirk. Now, Charlie, here's the problem. The book, as we speak, is number one on Amazon. So in my flesh, the old man hates you because you can't go, you, you kind of think like, if we work really hard, maybe we could get it to Point six, like you can't go past one. Number one is like as hard as you can go. So we don't I have nowhere to go but down. All we can do is screw it up. Well, or, or or tread water. So we, that's we've we've, we've, <laughs> we've already screwed it up. All right, Charlie. I saw you uh, on Mark Levin last night, and I, I thought I better not watch this because I will just ask you the same questions he's asking you because he's the great one, Mark Levin. But um, let me start with like the most you know banal question. It's pronounced banal uh, question that I can ask you is why did you, Charlie Kirk, write this book? So before I answer it, I want to compliment you because I've been rereading your book on miracles and it's re, it, it's re what's the right word I'm looking for? It strengthened my faith. Revivified? Yes, those are that, that's exactly right. So I know that you asked me a question about my book, but I first want to compliment your book. Ah. So the book on miracles is phenomenal. Well, thank you very much. It's kind of interesting, you know, because you and I, we're in the same business. We love God, we love America, and we want to spread the good news uh, of, of Jesus and 
uh, freedom, which is directly related. They're harmonic that. with each other. No question. There's no question. We would not have the United States of America if not for the gospel of Jesus, yes. not for Luther bringing it. You know, all we could go on and on and on. But the fact of the matter is we, we care about the same things. And it's, a, it's an honor for us to get to do that, that we get um, to do that. And so when you bring up my miracles book, I think it's – the challenge is getting these ideas into the mainstream. So yes. there are tons of Americans today who maybe they don't like this president or whatever. But my thinking is is if they could hear you and me talk about those issues um, in a way, they would say, you know what? I yes, I I do like that. Yes. I never heard that before. So uh, what is what is your goal specifically so, in writing this book? Because is this your first book? No, it's my third, but it's the first one with a rollout of this this level. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, right. I I'll tell you, Eric, I've been so excited to talk to you about this book because there's so much in this book you would understand. Uh, not that other people wouldn't, but I, it, there's a, it goes a level deeper. Mark Levin might understand. No, he no, of course he does. But um, so look, <laughs> look, I I was. I was, there was a moment that happened 18 months ago where I was watching one of the liberal networks and I was, I hit a breaking point where the liberal pundits and prognosticators were telling me what the president believed. Yeah. I said, they hate the president. Yeah. And they have contempt for our republic and they have contempt for our founding documents. Why are you telling me what he believes? Because that's not true. Yeah. Because they were misrepresenting it almost intentionally, either intentionally or they were doing a lazy form of journalism. And so I asked myself, what is the philosophical basis of the Trump presidency? Now, mind you, at the time when I began to write this book, we were about two years in. And it was right near the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings that I think was just one of the most important cultural moments in modern political history. There's no question about that and right on this program when i was talking to franklin graham uh absolute hero the term demonic yes and because i thought to myself that this we're not talking about the people that are against trump we're talking about there's a spirit that was manifested in that hearing that was so vile and so anti-logic yes and anti i mean on a number of levels that it was actually a frightening moment for the republic so you're right i guess to to start there yeah and so as, a, as an extension of that, we had the midterm elections. The Democrats take back the House and the Democrats start running for president and they start to define the Trump doctrine or the Trump ideas for him so incorrectly and so inaccurately. And I kind of did a landscape analysis of who out there is actually taking a step back and objectively made the case for the Trump presidency in a historical lens. And so I was able, I then went to on kind of a series and a tour of rallies, if you will, of Trump rallies. And I went and talked to the people myself. I didn't do it through the lens of the press. I didn't do the lens of just calling people. I went to the Trump rallies to people that were front in line waiting 100 hours plus for a chance to see the president of the United States. People that waited through blizzards and waited through storms and waited through everything you could imagine. Heat and cold and everything from Rochester, Minnesota to Orlando, Florida, to Dallas, Texas. I went there and I listened and I spoke to these people. And what the commonality of them all was, was this. Our country was in managed decline. Everyone knew it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Few, exactly what it was. Yes. Few people said it. Yes. And this guy came down from metaphorically and literally from his golden palace, if you yeah, will, yeah. down his yeah. golden escalator to put his reputation, his life experience on the line to save a crumbling republic. And I said, that's it. So I took another step back. I said, has this ever been done before? No. And it's like, yeah, like super rarely. I mean, so this is where you would appreciate it. Maybe King Justinian, 
Maybe. Oh, we're going out. We're going beyond the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. I was right. going to say, in the history of this country, the answer would be certainly would be no. Would only probably be Lincoln. Well, no, we're not talking about just simply about the greatness of presidents because without yes. doubt Lincoln is, you know, uh, he's Lincoln. But but in terms of, um, you know, when you talk about managed decline, we've never been there before. I mean, the existential crisis of the Civil War, obviously, we're in a similar This is we're different. In, we're yes. in a similar place. But when you talk about managed decline, I think what what Trump did, and I, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, forgive no, me, but just to make the point is that Trump, what Trump did— by being Trump and by saying what he said, he suddenly made all of us realize that the GOP before Trump was a bunch of effectively craven career bureaucrats who some of whom we thought, well, they're good guys they are going to do great things. But compared to his willingness to fight mm-hmm. for foundational American values, you start realizing that the, the people that that I voted for and in, in many ways, uh, you know, still revere that, that they were unwilling to take on the giants That's that right. he has taken on. And, and so the admittance that we were in managed decline was the beginning of his candidacy, a brutal examination of the carnage of the ruling class elites. Bad trade deals. China's ripping us off. We have these stupid, endless wars. People are flowing across the border. I said, wow, that's, that only took you 15 seconds to diagnose just but, basically but, but where we but were. But it's staggering, Charlie. We, we have to stop and understand how staggering this is because clearly the media is not reporting on this. Even conservative media doesn't quite do it justice. This president, it's kind of like somebody coming into a household hold, right? And saying, let me look at your books. And they look at the books and they realize that everyone working for you is totally ripping you off yes. and need to be fired yesterday. That's correct. Like, it, and, and by the way, if you hadn't shown me your books today, tomorrow you lose the house. And, and, and post Reagan, Republicans were left with almost the lesser of two evil options. And so as a secondary portion of why I wrote the book is the more people from the Reagan revolution that I interviewed for the book and otherwise, they were so happy with the successes of the Reagan revolution, but a little bit let down with what happened afterwards, right. which was H.W. Bush exploding the federal bureaucracy, betraying the promises on immigration, raising taxes. And I'm not here to bush bash. That's not why I'm here. But we have to be honest that the philosophy of the Reagan revolution was government is not the solution. Government's the problem. The philosophy of the H.W. Bush administration is we can run government better. And I talk about in the book is I asked people this question, what was the speech H.W. Bush gave after the Berlin Wall fell? And the, the answer is he didn't give a speech because he said he didn't want to rub it in. Can you, okay, that's what's so funny, because he, I mean, in my Bonhoeffer book, there were people... Which is phenomenal, Germany. by the well, way. I'm not, phenomenal. Forgive me, I'm, I'm bringing up my book. But Translated to 50 different the, languages. The only reason I, I bring it up is because I see the world through the lens of, of my books, you know, because that's why I've written them. But, but my point is that there were gentlemen... In Germany, uh, gentlemen leaders who, similar to the Bushes, had this sense of noblesse oblige and whatever, much of which was laudable until you were facing the evil of the Nazis. And at that point, they failed. And this is kind of what when you bring up George H.W. Uh, Bush, that, that gentlemanly quality, which is really wonderful. Yeah. At a moment like that, when it was time to celebrate, to dance on the grave of communism, he said he didn't want to rub it in. Well, and and so this was a a defining moment when I did kind of an introspection of where the Republican Party went wrong, because if there was ever a moment to declare victory 
that was the moment. And over the last 30 years, kind of looking at this generationally, post-Reagan, post-H.W. Bush, right. we've now allowed those ideas to be infiltrated into our schools. And so I, now forgive me, folks, we're going to be right back. Lots more with Charlie Kirk. Hey, everybody, March is here. And you know what that means? It means March Madness, one of my favorite times of the entire year. Uh, so make sure you head to Bet Online and open an account today because Bet Online's $100,000 bracket madness starts on March 15th. Yes, that's right. I said $100,000 on March 15th. If you are a hardcore or even just a casual fan, Bet Online's $100,000 bracket madness is the play this tournament season. But remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be. NBA action, we got the Bucks at the Heat, we got the Nets at the Celtics, we got the 76ers at the Lakers, Timberwolves at the Pelicans. Still can't get over that they're named the Pelicans. I'm used to the New Orleans Hornets. Anyway, Pacers at the Bucks. Bucks might have the best player in basketball, prove me wrong. Clippers at the Rockets. And then, of course, college basketball action. Big stuff coming up. Tech at Baylor, NC State at Duke, Michigan State at Penn State, Maryland at Rutgers, Villanova at Seton Hall, Kentucky at Florida, and Auburn at Tennessee. Of course, we got great UFC action, too. Check those out. And we got XFL matchups, which I got to give them credit for these names. You got the Vipers versus the Wildcats. That's Tampa Bay versus LA. Seattle Dragons versus the Houston Roughnecks and some other games as well. So right now, visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code PODCAST1. Get your 50% sign-up bonus. That's BetOnline, your online sports book experts. Let me shut up so you can continue. You were uh, saying some really important stuff. Well, and so the reason uh, more about the book MAGA Doctrine that is now for sale, if anyone uh, oh, wishes to Oh, don't worry. To, People to are buying this book. Oh, They're buying this it's book. Very, that's, very, that's very kind. <laughs> oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the idea of resuscitating a country that is in managed decline is so rare. And I, I make the argument it takes big, bold leaders that sometimes come in unconventional ways. And two in particular that you would appreciate, Constantine and King Justinian, were, were, did more for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, despite not necessarily being a Christian, Constantine in particular, until his deathbed. I mean, we wouldn't have the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. He built the Eastern Roman Empire, Byzantium as we know it, Constantinople. Christianity in the modern era grew because of, Constant, of Constantine. Now, why was that? You study him. He was able to make big promises, deliver on them, was a leader that defined his enemies for who, who they truly were, and was looking forward in a way that said, we can be great again. Now, that word great again is not backwards looking. And that, that's one of the biggest intentional misinterpretations that the journalist ruling class gives on Trump, that he just wants to bring us back to the most evil parts of American history. And then I ask myself the question, I ask others, I say, well, there, there were some good things about the 1960s. Divorce rates were a lot lower. Families were much you know, tight, more tightly knit. Church, church going attendance was higher. Drug usage was lower. So this kind of indictment that everything before us is incorrect is actually reminds me of Robespierre. It is like French Revolution style that everything before us must be a mistake. And, and we, we have to throw everything away. Yeah, you were, you were talking about this with Mark Levin. I mean, the, this is exactly, in other words, Trump has clarified the battle lines in a way that we've never seen before. There's a utopianist cultural Marxist left that is being super clear about wanting, in effect, as you said, uh, to abolish time, to sort of reinvent everything and to move into this, you know, uh, it's this millennialist, utopianist uh, impulse that has been in uh, it's it's inhumanity, and we've seen it in history. The French Revolution is the classic example. It's never been clearer, and, and, and it seems to me that the reason it's so clear 
is that they have been flushed out of the bushes by the clarity of Donald Trump yes. on the other side. Well, and, and also part of his MAGA doctrine is outside of just policy. And this is, this is one of the most important points I make in the book. I love tax cuts. I love deregulation. I love Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, 180 circuit court judges, energy independence, embassy in Jerusalem, Golan Heights, Iran deal, TPP, USMCA, right to try, VA accountability. I love it all. And I could keep going. Largest middle class tax cut in American history. You know, 20 regulations for every one that's been put on the books. Phenomenal. However, President Trump looks at the landscape outside of just passing legislation, outside of just pushing judges and says, there are seven mountains of cultural influence. And he says, I'm going to engage in every single one of them. I'm going to See, that's, that's what's so staggering, and that is what people aren't getting. Yes. That, that's what, that is what, and it's wonderful that you get it, because uh, it's, it's important we communicate this. The book is The MAGA Doctrine. I want to be really clear. Uh, please continue. Yeah, and so when the president challenges Hollywood, when the president challenges the media, when the president signs an executive order for free speech rights on college campuses, when the president invites me and other Turning Point USA students and speaks at three of our events in the last year, that's him involving himself in culture. Now, we know from the great late Andrew Breitbart, his most famous quote, which is so true, politics downstream of culture, Bernie Sanders after effect of where culture is. President Trump says, I'm not just fighting for the hearts and minds of today. What am I doing to win the cultural battle of tomorrow? And how do we have evidence? of this. He's the first American president since Reagan where the left is on defense. The left has been on offense and taking terrain from us post-Reagan. And we have been gentlemen about it, but if we're honest with ourselves, we have, oh, yeah. been, we have been doing nothing but surrendering ground to the cultural left. President Trump says it does not have to be this way. Christians, go forth and be proud of what you believe in. Amazing. Churches, I have your back. The IRS is not going to investigate you anytime soon. College conservatives, if they punch you in the face, I'm going to defund their school. You know, people in the media, they're all fake anyway. I stand by you. It, it is nothing less than staggering. I mean, it is nothing less than staggering. And, and you have to give it historical perspective because I think a lot of people don't get this because of the, the nature of the media. But like everything you're saying, I, I just because I'm twice as old as you are, I, I have some historical perspective to say we have never begun to, to see anything like this. No. This, is, this is a moment uh, in, in our lifetimes that is absolutely sui generis. There is nothing that can compare to it. And you're framing it beautifully, and I know well, you, you obviously do the same in the book. Well, th- thank you. And, 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 and part of the argument and part of what you actually just said a word that um, I focus on in the book, which is moment or movement. Is this going to be a Trump moment? That we kind of that the ruling class is able to kind of say, okay, we yeah, did that. No. Go back in your corner, no. you rebels. No, or is this a Trump movement where the Republican Party is boring for good? They want to go back to unlimited immigration and foolish immigration policies, China appeasement, sending billions of dollars to Iran, turning our back to Israel, mediocre economic growth and malaise, and a focus on D.C. and an emphasis on the ruling class in Malibu, Manhattan, and Silicon Valley. That's what they want to go back to because that's what they're comfortable with. President Trump and the movement he's created is about working class, middle class Americans, people that shower before work and after work, people that have that that go to church, want to build a family, not necessarily just go to the right cocktail parties in the corners of our country. And I'm happy to expand on it even more. Well, have you ever been called Charles Kirk? I, it's actually my legal name. Charles. Well, I assumed your, re, your real yes. name's not Charlie, well, but it's Scottish in nature, actually. But, uh, you, Charles Kirk. It's Charles Kirk, which means church. Of oh, course. I know. I know. Uh, Charlie Charlemagne. Um, your book is called The MAGA Doctrine, but we're talking about how this is 
uh, likely a movement, not a moment. It does seem to me that something, and I will be bold to say that God has used this president and has his hand on this president. I completely agree. Obviously, in spite of the president's previous failings or current failings. I have a comment on that. completely another issue. Go ahead. Well, so I I speak at churches quite often across the country, and the project we're doing at Liberty University, Falkirk Center, with Jerry Falwell Jr., has an emphasis on this, and I want to give a shout-out to our great friends at Liberty University, the only college I put my name behind. They do phenomenal work. Uh, The Falkirk Center, Fallen Kirk, you know, it's got the good uh, good Scottish roots, right? It is amazing to me (laughs) that, that somebody who didn't, uh, go to college has his name. That's you, Kirk, on a center at a great college in America, and you're 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 so young. So be careful because uh, you might peak too soon. I, but uh, trust me, but, it's I know. If you keep your eyes on on Jesus, you you'll be fine. God but, willing. But yeah. the Falkirk Center is very exciting. Jenna Ellis was telling me she's about wonderful, this, and you know I'm a huge fan of of Liberty. Huge. I just. Uh, Full endorsement. Can't, can't say enough. Yes. Can't say enough about that. Well, and so I, when I speak at these churches, sometimes I'll get questions from well-meaning Christians, and they'll say, Charlie, I don't like uh, Donald Trump's tone. I don't like his demeanor. Yeah. I say, okay, let's take a step backwards to one of my favorite biblical stories, the story of Samson. There's nothing that I can teach in Sunday school about the story of Samson. The Lord came to him in a prostitute's bed twice. He lived a sin-filled life where he turned his back on God, and God called him to do one thing, to fight the fights that the Israelites were not willing to fight. Take the jawbone of a donkey and go fight a thousand Philistines. And I look you can't, you can't say donkey on this program. You have to say ass. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. We're just making sure. Yeah, it's a family program. Yeah, exactly. Charlie, right. I was trying to be politically correct. Right, right. In, in Paul's letter in Hebrews, he's in the, the famous Hall of Faith, and we look at the, the story of Samson, known for his hair, Donald Trump known for his hair, maybe some similarities, <laughs> similarities there, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. However, what, why is the story of Samson instructive? Maybe because he was willing to do the fight that other people were not willing to do. And the Bible is, is filled with stories like that. But I love that story the most because nothing in his journey, nothing in the brutality of what he did against the enemies of God's chosen people is something that is nice to talk about necessarily Isn't in church. is funny, though? I actually find it, you know, this always happens to me. I find something amazing, and then I'm further amazed by the fact that I've not heard it before. Like, the idea that no one until now, until you, has brought up Samson, because clearly, as you're saying, there's nothing laudable about Samson's... I can't teach that I mean, can you imagine ten year olds? If you teach kids, you say, "By the way, he was in a prostitute's bed." Now, Twice. Now we know that's bad, but we're just <laughs> saying it's in scripture. He was in a prostitute's bed because God. I mean, this is the thing. This is about you know, and I learned this from Bonhoeffer: the incarnational quality of God. That he comes into our filth. Yes, he comes into our dirt and our mess and our brokenness and our sin because. He loves us. That's exactly and, right. And it's an amazing, I mean, it's hard to properly understand. Luther also, I mean, Luther more than anybody, explains this. And for a lot of people, especially people who are, I would say, theologically fussy or pharisaical and kind of obsessed with personal holiness, this is anathema to them, just as Jesus was anathema to the Pharisees. I mean, to do some of the things he did was was deeply disturbing. And I think that it really 
I would say Trump forces us to re-examine our theology, and the, and the case of Samson is just it's brilliant. Thank well, you for yeah, bringing that up. Th- th- thank you. And to kind of close the point, though, you know, Paul would not have put Samson in the letter to Hebrews in the Hall of Faith if there was not something heroic and something that was something that Christians can learn from there. And yeah. the end of the Samson story is self-sacrifice. The ending of the story of Samson is that, God, give me one more chance to defeat the enemies. I know I'm going down with them. You don't think Trump is going to bring the Supreme Court down on his head, do you? (laughs) No, I'm not not saying that Trump's story is going to end in that capacity, but I think there— Because Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes out, there's going to be a crowd there. He's going to be in the middle pushing against the pillars. It can happen. God, give me me one more—but the point being is that— that Sam- Samson sacrificed a lot for the kingdom of God and for God's chosen people, and so has, has President Trump. Yeah. However, God calls people to sometimes fight the fights that God's chosen people are not always willing to okay, fight. But, but let me hit pause. Why? To shame us. That's, a, God, that's God, exactly right. God does this over and over in history. When, when God said, I'm going to bring this gospel and my Messiah to, to the Jew first, right? He says, but... If you are slow to move on this, I will bring it to the Gentiles to shame you, to make you jealous. And that's what God does this over yes. and over. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the worst of the worst, the thrice married, philandering, billionaire, new to, get, to show you what I can do through anyone. Yes. And I'm not here to bash previous Republican presidents. It's not what I that's do. That's my job. But I will say... Why did the three-time married, previous pro-choice, Planned Parenthood donating, New York billionaire, front-page Playboy magazine, be the first president to speak at the March for Life? Amen. Why would George W. I'm not here to bush bash. I think he's a very. He's a gentleman. That's my. I think he's a gentleman. I I love the bushes, but your point is so clearly true. You you ask yourself this question over and over. Why would it be that guy? Why yes. does it have to be that guy? And and part of it, spiritually speaking, is that God says, I'm going to show you. He does it over and over through history. You mentioned Samson, but there are innumerable cases of him choosing the last, the worst. That's correct. I mean, they, David... When well, David was chosen among all his brothers, it's like, what about him? It's, and Joseph it, it could be very similar, it, 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 too. Over yes. and over and over again. That's God's M.O. Yeah, and, and I, I challenge Christians. I say, so let me, let me be perfect. What, I ask people, what do you want in a leader? And they say, well, I want the leader to be ro- a role model. I say, really? Isn't that what parents are for, first and foremost? Never growing up did my father say, you know, that bush, I want you to be like that guy. And I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not going to, you know, say every single, you know, piece is an excuse for that behavior. But role models start in the proximity to the children. This 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 leftist narrative that somehow the people that we put in positions of power are are we should well, have look, this upward Charlie, gaze. We're, we've got we've got to go to another break here. But I just want to say, like, d- d- there is no doubt that uh, Obama is a good father and a good husband. But he allowed millions. Of babies to be butchered in the womb. End of discussion. He ended uh, traditional marriages. Uh, uh, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Do we not bring that up? We'll be right back with Charlie Kirk. What do companies like Ring and Hint have in common? They all use NetSuite 
to accelerate their growth. I'm telling you right now, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. If you want to take your company from 2 million or to 10 million or 10 million to hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. I've seen it. They do a great, great job. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions to grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Trusted by more than 19,000 companies, NetSuite is the last system you'll ever need. NetSuite business grows here. So schedule your free product tour right now. I've done it. You guys got to do it too and receive your free guide, six ways to run a more profitable business, netsuite.com slash Kirk. That's netsuite.com slash Kirk, netsuite.com slash Kirk. It's a problem talking to you because even if I weren't over caffeinated, which I obviously am talking to you, uh, it's, it's like coffee. I get very, I get very excited. You're sharing some things that are really important. Um, so, let me get out of the way once more uh, and and say let's just let's just keep going. What is in this book, the MAGA doctrine? Well, so a couple things. It, it lays out where I think the conservative movement and the Republican Party need to go over the next hundred years, uh, the next century, and to learn from the mistakes post Reagan of how we allowed the technocrats to take over the Republican Party. Um, President Trump has restored a voice and dignity to forgotten America that the Republican Party had lost post the work. The what they call Reagan Democrats are now Trump Republicans, and they should stay that way. Oh, yeah. As I mentioned, the people that shower before work and after work, the people that work with their hands, the carpenters, HVAC, the pipe fitters, police officers, firefighters, we should not become a snobbish elitist party that only tries to win, you know, the approval of the ruling class newspapers. I think that's such an important lesson. Well, no, that's and, and this is this is so huge what you're what you're saying. I mean, it's not like uh, it hasn't been said before, but the point is that this is a this is a tipping point. In culture, and when I say in culture, this is without any question and without uh, any uh, pride on our own parts personally, but this is the greatest nation in the history of the world. So a tipping point in this culture is a huge historical tipping point. That's exactly right. And so we're we're at a precipice right now as a country, and we have a leader that I don't think we deserve, that fights so courageously and is so unafraid to challenge the left on their own terrain. And so he comes, he's probably more than anything else, his first gift to our country is being the most successful anti-leftist weapon we've ever seen. And they don't know how to deal with him. They can't categorize him. Well, he makes their heads explode. Literally. Almost literally. Yeah, almost. And and he's able to put them on defense, as I've mentioned. And I believe that Russia, China, and Iran are threats to the United States. They pale in comparison to the threat of what the left in this country are doing right now. There's on our schools no and our question. universities. There is no question of that. And so he recognizes that. Yeah. And so in the book also, I lay out the successes of the administration. I think I make a persuasive argument for even people in the middle to support him and to get behind him. So if you're looking for a piece of literature to give to people that may be kind of on the fence, uh, I have a whole chapter on religious liberty and a whole chapter on why I believe Christians should be in support of him. And look, he's brought back a fervent support of ethical monotheism 
monotheism, which I think has been just destroyed under the secular left and the quiet right. Um, and I could go on even further, but he's been unafraid. The billionaire businessman from Manhattan, as we talk about, talked about three times married, former cover of Playboy magazine, has been more unafraid to embrace people of faith than any other president that I've ever seen. He doesn't care what they write about him. They don't. He doesn't care about what they say about him. He's prayed over almost daily by the vice president and other people around him. He has record support in the evangelical community. And the media, they're the ones that are the moral pietists, and they say, well, how come the evangelicals who say they're all for good behavior like this guy? And the evangelicals say, well, finally there's someone who's taking that donkey, that donkey bone, that donkey jaw, and finally <laughs> slaying our enemies for us because we've been losing We've been losing for 30 yeah. years. Well, and again, people people make it sound like, oh, oh, I get it. So you're all about power. And and the fact of the matter is that's sniping. And, and, and this kind of sniping, it's all the radical left has. They, they basically – Jesus said – um, you're the, this generation is like the children in the marketplace. You, you, you know, you say we played the pipe and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. No matter what Trump does or says, they will snipe. Now, the ideas in this book are very important. And the way you frame these ideas is important because, look, I've been saying this for years. I think Andrew Breitbart stole from me, you know, that the politics is downstream of culture. I'm only half joking because... Um, people have said this for many years, long before Andrew Breitbart. It's a fact. So when evangelical Christians around 1980 got involved in politics, they got all excited about politics. And I always say, that's great. But we're supposed to bring the gospel and our faith into every sphere, not just politics. That's correct. So we've got to be involved in politics, but we ought to be involved in the culture. Yes. Sitcoms, talk shows, movies, Every single part of the culture should be suffused totally with the, the reality of, of, of the God of the Bible. It's not just like we're going to do theology yeah. and politics. Well, and, and, and you've touched on that because this president seems to have an innate sense of this. Yeah, and so I, I have a theory, and I, I see it happening in real time. So what we do at Turning Point USA is secular. I'm a Christian. It's the most important thing in my life. But Turning Point USA is a secular yeah, organization. Sure. However, we're bringing people to Christ because of what Galatians 3 says. The law is a school teacher to Christ. So when people start to see organized thinking, they see people with organized lives, they see people with direction, people that are outside of chaos, all of a sudden they're going to find Christ. And I think Galatians 3 is going to be the new revival in America. It's exactly the opposite of what the church has been pointing us to in the last 30 years, which is... And is, what is Galatians 3? Well, Galatians 3 basically is Paul's letter to the Galatians and he talks about in it is that the law is a school teacher to Christ is that if we if we embrace the teachings of the Torah which of course we should not turn our back on that's going to lead more people to Christ that if we actually and I, I use it more from governmental standpoint and more civic standpoint and a more right so for example when I tell somebody can you go a month without drinking on a college campus and they say I don't know I'll say that you have no sovereignty over your being and they say, do it for one month and tell me how you feel. And all of a sudden they say, yeah, that was great. Well, I'll say, well, can, do, do you want to know what's deeper than that? Surrendering your entire self to something that's higher than you. All of a sudden it's a school teacher. It's a gateway to Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate answer. And I think that what we're seeing right now is people say, Charlie, and they come up to me in record numbers and I get thousands of messages a week and a month. Again, I'm a secular organization writing a secular book, but a Christian writing both. And I, and I see myself leading people to Christ and see, my peop- I see people go into church attendance in record numbers. 
And it's completely contrary to what some missionaries, not all, and some people in Christendom would say. Because they'd say you have to stay out of civics, you have to stay out of politics, you have to stay out of this fight. It's yeah. dirty, it's nasty. Only focus on rebirth, revival, gospel, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't get outside of it. And I say, you have something wrong. And Jordan Peterson taught me this. Jordan Peterson brought people out of the wilderness up to the gate of Christ. And now people are able to walk through because Jordan Peterson said, here's 12 very simple things. Guess what? Every single 12 of those rules for life is biblical. Every single one Listen, of them. Listen, truth, uh, I mean, I talk about this all the time. Truth is truth. If Jesus is the truth, if the Bible is true and the God of the scripture is the God of all reality, there is nothing that doesn't touch him. That's all exactly right. will lead to him. So it doesn't matter where you begin. I actually find it very funny. When I was at, uh, Dennis Prager was doing a big thing for Prager University and I, I spoke wonderful. at it. They're wonderful. And, and Dennis Prager is not a Christian, but Prager you is inadvertently, because it talks about all kinds of truth, leading people... That's, that's Galatians 3, right well, there. That's right. Leading people to Jesus. And I find this, this... It's just... I mean, you have to understand, it's kind of funny. Well, it, it's it, kind of fun- it, it's, funny. It's awfully ironic, because I would make, an, I would make a, a argument, and I mean this in no way to castigate or to demean the type of person I'm, I'm talking about, but the Christian famous Instagram celebrity is not going to bring as many people to Christ in this culture as Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson will. What? Yeah. Jordan Peterson, secular clinical psychologist from Canada. Dennis Prager, Orthodox Jew from Manhattan, went to Brooklyn College and now lives in Los Angeles, who talks about living a better life. But when Dennis Prager says something as important as God cares about what you do and how you do it, and if you live a good life, you're going to be happier. That message right there, when Dennis Prager says, you should care much more about self-control than self-esteem, all of a sudden, a student who's been living in a self-indulgent, chaotic, left-wing culture is going to use that as a gateway, as a school teacher, as an upward-looking light towards Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And I see this happening, and I think Christianity can learn a lot. And I think there's so much to be said about the cowardice of the pastors in this country. Oh, look, Charlie, I just want to say what you just said. Think of the irony and the hilarity. I say the hilarity. No, it's true. I, I find it... Where Orthodox it's Jews like are bringing people to Jesus and the joy. Well, and but but here's the key: is that if you don't understand that God is over everything, you will participate in the in the in the secular left's That's right. war on real faith. And what what they want to do, and what Christians have uh, participated in, is putting ourselves in this little religious corner and saying that un- this is if such I talk an important about point. anything outside of theology and salvation, I'm, I'm beyond what God, God just doesn't want me to focus on politics. He wants me to focus on it. And I would say to that, not only is that wrong, it's anti-Bible, it's anti-God. And other, well, it's anti-Jesus. It's, it's not just an, an impression that I have that it's wrong. It's fundamentally antithetical to what, the scripture well, says. Think of the irony. Well, of Jesus that. had a day job, and that's what he, <laughs> he did. Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, but and isn't that before he became a Christian? He well, repented of that, right? Well, I'm pretty sure he well, repented of but that. But the point being is that you should be a Christian in all things that you do. And there's this there's this growing sense in Christianity, and I, I want to stifle it wherever I come across that Christianity should be some sort of monk monastery in the hills where we're correct about everything, but we don't talk to anybody else. Right. And every well, look, people who didn't vote in the election. Let, let let's just go there for a second. People said, "I am too holy." to vote for that man, right? In other words, their, their, their worldview is, is so parochial, so, so... That's pinched, the right word for it. ...that they are unable 
to understand things really with with any uh, how do I put it? It's not a three dimensional understanding of the world. It's a very pinched understanding of well, the world. Well, and, and yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, there, no, there's people not. out there. I don't want to single them out, but there there are leading evangelicals out there that still are so pathologically against Donald Trump. Not a lot of them, but there's a fair amount. And you could say the names. I'm not going to give them the platform, but you know exactly who yeah, I'm talking no, I, about. I won't say the names, but no, it look, it makes me sad because it's not like I don't understand their points. They make really wonderful points, but the conclusion is fundamentally wrong. That's correct. It's that simple. Well, and so I look at God cares about everything you do. And so I come, I come at it from this perspective, and, and some people in Protestantism don't agree with this completely, but theologically, I think God cares about how you dress, I think God cares about how you eat, God cares about how you speak, God cares about your thoughts, and, that, and, and I think He cares about all of it. And that includes God cares about how you vote. Well, okay, just because I can hear people uh, thinking this right now, so I have to respond to it. When you say those things, or when you say what uh, Dennis Prager says, there are lots of people that it would immediately leap up and say, ah, that's works, right? Ladies and gentlemen, we have to stop doing this. When you're talking about behavior, it doesn't, you don't always have to be talking along these salvific lines, meaning that we're saying, do this and this and this, this, because you will get saved. I never said that. That's exactly right. And neither did I, and neither even is Dennis Prager, because I've talked to him about this. The point is, just because I tell my daughter, do this and don't do that, that has nothing to do with how you get to heaven. That's that correct. has to do, frankly, you could already be a Christian, and this is how you worship God. You worship God exactly by doing right. all of these well, things. And you thank him. Uh, you express your gratitude to what he's already done on the cross by saving you. You thank him in your behavior, and, and, and you, you don't. You, and this is the this is the best way to describe it: is you don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you are saved. So you're reborn in Christ. You have a new life. Your worldview is comp- hopefully correctly oriented. You should be worshiping in every single thing that you do. And so maybe that means removing swearing for your life. Maybe that means freeing yourself from an alcohol addiction, or hopefully voting correctly. Voting for life, voting for sovereignty of the individual, voting for sovereignty of borders. Remember you said before that Trump has put the left uh, on their heels, on the defensive for the first time, okay? We, we need to do this when we're talking about the poor, okay? We need to be more, and I know you've done this, but w- whenever conservatives semi-apologize, I, I just want to say, if you really care about the poor, if you really care about the urban poor in America, if you care about people of color in urban communities that are suffering, if you actually care about them, there is no way you could ever vote for anybody who is not uh, fiscally conservative. That's right. Who doesn't believe in all this stuff. If you vote for a progressive or if you vote for a socialist, I want to say to you bluntly, if you vote for a progressive or a socialist, you are harming the poor. You're virtue signaling, so your progressive friends will give you uh, high marks. But if you actually care not about how you look to your progressive friends, but if you actually care about the poor themselves, you cannot vote for socialists or um, high-tax Democrats. Well, I, I had a comment based on, on what, you've, what you mentioned, which is one of my favorite parables of Christ is the parable of the talents. And I think it, it gets... Pretty good interpretation, not good, correct interpretation at times. But I look at it, I try to divide certain parables into one or two words summaries of what Jesus was trying to express. And one of the recurring themes of Jesus' parables or his miracles was multiplication. Feeding the 5,000, parable of the talents, go forth and multiply. It was about 
you have a certain subset right now in a box and break outside that box and create more. We now know through the law of economics that there's only one way to multiply, and that's through trade. It's just, it's, it's been proven. It's been, it's been verifiably proven. And so if we are called to multiply, multiply spiritually, multiply through the church, multiply through the family, multiply culturally, multiply, yes, economically, then there's only one system of governance, and that is one that protects private property rights. And let's us not forget, Jesus Christ never condemned the idea of private property. And he could have, because that idea was floated by Plato prior to Christ. Now, this is really important, because I can make the argument that Jesus wrote, read the classics, and I know this is this puts me maybe in a minority opinion. Well, no, you mean you, you mean uh, that he actually did read some of the Greeks? Yes, the, because that's really interesting. Wow, I've, I don't know if I've ever thought of that. What a big idea! That's a big idea. Yeah, it's a big idea. It's very heady, but that, but I, it's I, nice. I like that. But they were floating around the region prior to Christ. Socrates, no, Plato, and Aristotle no were question about it. Were yeah. and and so, but the the dis, the disagreement between Plato and Aristotle was fundamental. A lot of it, but one of the biggest was the idea of private property. Aristotle, no more private property. Plato. No, no more private property. Aristotle thought private property was right. fine and was needed and was actually necessary. Christ never went out of his way to critique the idea of private property. In fact, private property goes all the way back to Abraham buying the plot of land to bury his wife in Hebron for, of course, what we now call, the, I believe it's called the Hall of the Patriarchs in, in Hebron in, in Judea and Samaria. What's the point here is that I think private property serves a very, very important role. We look at this politically now and philosophically. You have an entire political party that wants to abolish private property in America. Oh, listen. I mean, even before we go there, and I want to touch on, on John Locke, but basically— Oh, my favorite. No, I know. Now, I, now we're talking. I, I want to talk about Locke. But, but before we get there, what you said earlier—and again, this is stuff to, to be perfectly candid, right? Um, I've discovered these things later in life. Um, and when you begin to see how uh, Luther— in effect, unleashes the gospel beyond, again, it's kind of circumscribed in this little theological cage, and he unleashes it into the culture itself, not necessarily uh, consciously. He just ends up doing that. Yes. And it goes into the culture. It leads to political, uh, sorry, to religious liberty. It leads to all kinds of things, which it seems to me clearly is God's plan in history, right? And you see that we could not have um, the, the idea of virtuous capitalism, growing wealth, helping more people. This multiplication idea, it's the antithesis of redistributing wealth, That's exactly which is the right. zero-sum game. So you, you see the gospel working its way through history in precisely the way that you're talking about. It, it's not something that is meant to be kept in this little narrow religious a circle. It's meant to break yes. out and to touch every part of the culture. Well, and, and so the we self governance. The idea of self governance is biblical. The idea, and, and and you know this, but in the Bible, Israel was able to have self governance because they had the law as the center of their community, and everyone knew the law, and they self enforced the law. And then they said, "God give us a king," and God basically said the first time ever, "Be careful what you wish for." And as we know, the rest is history of murderous, self-righteous, sinful kings as human beings are. But the law, if they would have just kept the laws, the center point, people would have been able to self-enforce it. The founding fathers understood this, and they were inspired by Locke, probably the most important thinker in Western society that gets very little credit for it. And Cicero. 
Cicero begot Locke, and so on. And Cicero was a Roman consul for one for one year and was the best selling author prior to to Julius Caesar, who actually came up with the the three the three branches of government: legislative, executive, and judicial. But what was so interesting: the founding fathers realized that you need some form of governance. But where the big differentiation between the French Revolution and American Revolution is where do rights come from? The French Revolution never recognized natural rights ever. It was Rousseauian social contract theory. There, there is no God. We're going to try to create utopia. Founding fathers recognize a lock natural rights interpretation. Rights come from God, not from government. Our country, America, was founded by people who read the Bible, people that fought for the Bible, founded by people who fled Europe to be able to practice the Bible. We're an American. The American experiment's a Christian experiment. And you have to ask yourself the question, is the world a better place because of America? And more importantly, is the kingdom in a better place because of America? And the answer is absolutely yes. Isn't that amazing? Based on what you've just said, you've got my permission to propose to my daughter. Oh, that's very funny. I know. I know. Um, Seriously, though, it (laughs) blesses me to hear a young man understand this. And thank God you didn't go to college, because if you had, you wouldn't understand any of this. Except maybe, maybe if you'd gone to Liberty. Liberty is the one. I'm just saying. Um, But what you're explicating, my question uh, is, why... Aren't we teaching these things? Why haven't we been teaching these things in the public schools for the last 60 years? If we don't teach these things, which are actually true, this is not just our interpretation, no. this is truth, um, we forfeit the founders' vision of America. And we, 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 we are you know, long in the process of doing that. It is why we have this president now because if we had gone another four years or god forbid eight uh, in the direction we were going in it's it's game over for american style self-government and for the for the torch of liberty that the whole world is is well, looking to we're gonna hang on a second we're gonna go to break what is your dream job if it requires a bachelor's degree well i got a solution for you I know it's hard to go back to school, but guess what? That's why you'll love Ashford University. It's convenient and flexible. Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's degree programs allow you to learn at your own pace. You can study wherever you're the most comfortable learning. You can take one course at a time. Ashford University's six-week-long courses allow you to take one course at a time. Being enrolled in one class at Ashford means you're considered a full-time student. There's no standardized tests required. That means the SAT, GRE, GMAT, and other standardized test scores are not required for enrolling at Ashford University. Accreditation. Ashford University is fully accredited by WASC, Senior College and University Commission. So get on the road to earning your degree and making your dream job a reality. Enroll now by going to ashford.edu slash kirk. That's ashford.edu slash k-i-r-k to start your degree today. Ashford.edu slash k-i-r-k. Hey, folks, talking to Charlie Kirk. The book is The MAGA Doctrine. Charlie, you were just about to say something. Um, I believe we were talking about why why have we stopped teaching these things over the last Mm -hmm. 60 years. And I have a a story that is uh, an example of this that I think embodies it pretty well. I asked an atheist professor uh, why he doesn't teach the Bible in his uh, historical text class. And he was dancing around the issue. And I, I said, well, hold on a second. I said, let's just, let's pretend I'm not a Christian. Let's just pretend I'm a student of history. W- wouldn't I want to read the Bible? It has a phenomenal amount of data that has been proven correct by 
third and fourth part, third, third and fourth party analysis of archaeological evidence, the, the, the creation and destruction of two temples, um, King David, King Hezekiah, not to mention the most important person ever to exist in the history of the world. Whether or not you believe he's the Messiah or a deity or just the charismatic guy that had a bunch of followers, pretty important that people know he existed. And finally, privately, he confided in something. He said, the problem is if I teach the Bible, people might believe it's true. And that was it. But, that, but I mean, we already knew that, but you got him to say I got him to admit it, yeah. which is, the, and I'm, I make an argument, and I don't do this to be provocative. I think, the, I think the Bible should be taught in every single public school across the country. And if they don't, I think the federal funding should be withheld. And the argument I make, people say separation of church and state. First of all, that's nowhere in the Constitution. Second of all, that was written by a singular letter by Thomas Jefferson, yeah. I believe, in 1803. Yeah. But Thomas Jefferson didn't even embody that. Well, first of all, but let, let's There's so clear. much there to no, untangle. No, but what but, he said— the separation of church and state is absolutely correct, provided you understand what he meant by it. That's correct. What he meant by it has nothing to do with what he we're was talking about. talking about state-run religion. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the point. He, and look, let's be clear. He was saying that the state, because this is why they created this great country, they understood that it was always the temptation of the state to take over the church. Yes. So when he says separation, it's to protect the church, not well, to protect the state. And, from and, the and it was also between quarreling sects of Protestants and Catholics, and he was trying to say, yeah. that's ne- it's never going to be a majoritarian Protestant or right. Catholic country. Right. Take right. it easy. Not, right. but people forget Thomas Jefferson brought in Baptists to perform musical ceremonies in the Supreme Court, okay? Could you imagine if they oh, did, did that? You know that under, under him, they had church services in the Capitol. Yeah, like, precisely. Yeah, on on exactly. On. So the point you're making, which I agree with, is that the Bible ought to be taught in public school. Well, because so, so here's the argument I make. It goes a level deeper than that. It should be taught in public schools. It's the greatest book ever to exist in the history of the world. You and I both believe it. But even from an objective secular analysis, the fact that this book even exists is absolutely incredible. It has the moral order for everything that we teach our kids. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't cheat on your, you know, don't, don't cheat in your relationships. But here's the argument I make, is that the absence of the Bible is you imposing your leftist religion. Well, okay, now, what you've just said, again, this is maybe I love you because you're just saying stuff that I've already thought of, but seriously, Charlie, what you just said is happening, and when the founders talk that about the idea that we're not supposed to have the establishment of a religion... We have it. What we have now is the establishment of a secular leftist religion, and it seems to me that it's incumbent on those who have the ability to make the case that this is happening and it must stop. So when you impose a pansexual view of things, these are religious issues. So the idea that's right, you don't define religion by, well, those are the congregationalists. So that whenever you're touching on... On these largest of all issues, on ultimate things, they are by definition religious issues, and the imposition of a religion is happening in our yes. Time. And so, you take New York public schools where we're recording this right now. Are they teaching the Bible in every fourth and fifth grade class when they talk about world religions? I doubt it. In fact, so the absence of teaching that book is actually a religious statement. Because that is a leftist saying, I don't want the Bible to be taught. Well, I believe leftism is a religion. In fact, I go as far to say that atheism in certain senses can be a religion. And people disagree with this. They say, well, Charlie, they have no theology. I say, hold on a second. Atheists have a agreed upon belief in afterlife. Nothing. They've agreed upon belief in the deity. Nothing. And they proselytize and evangelize more so than Christians do. I get more people approaching me to try to convert to atheism than almost any, than a Christian does. And there's a lot of different reasons for this, but I always challenge the atheist. I say, if you actually believed what you say you believe, why does it matter 
you got like 38 years and five days left, and then you're just clump of cells, dust, and you're going to deteriorate into the, you know, into the abyss. You should live it up. You should do as much drugs and indulgence as you possibly can. And atheists are divided into two different buckets. There's agnostics who call themselves atheists because they think it's punk rock. And then there's deeply unhappy people that have been scarred by religion, and they think they're too smart for religion. And I say I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I think it takes unbelievable philosophical calisthenics to believe this is all just an act of randomness. In fact, I think it's, I think it's actually rooted in hubris. Actually, um, I, I uh, have been talking about this a lot lately. I actually believe it's, let's put it this way. If God created the universe, which he did, and if he created us in his image, which he did, it is effectively, demonstrably impossible to live as though he didn't exist. So when people talk about that, it's a lot of words. There is no one who has the ability to actually live that way. And I don't just mean because he gave us the oxygen to breathe, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that when you, when you have people talking about that and they're sort of – they're implying that everything is random, life has no meaning, there is no good and evil, they don't live that way and they don't dare live that way. Well, so they come up with some sophistry about how I create my own meaning. It's utterly meaningless. Well, and it's just something very simple as this, and it, it, college atheists aren't prepared for this sort of cross-examination because colleges don't teach people to think. They turn them into activists. They say there's no such thing as absolute truth. They say, yeah. apply that logic to what you just said. Right. Do you believe that absolutely? Boom. And all of a sudden, their entire worldview has been shattered. I mean, I believe in absolute truth. I believe in a divine being who sent his son to die for us. Yeah. I believe in the authenticity of the, of the greatest book ever to exist in the history of the world. And look, there's one thing to be questioning, one thing to be fervent in your belief in nothingness. And there is a direct connection. And Eric, you've done a great job of articulating this. The rise of secular society and the rise of Marxism are directly connected together because people still need meaning. People need something to believe in. They need something to connect into. And if you get rid of the church, you get rid of the family, you get rid of friends, you get rid of belief in a higher power, people are still going to need to believe in something. And unfortunately, that something thing is an environmental protest or some sort of leftist cause that they can wear in a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that becomes their religion we as human beings are oriented towards the vertical and if, if you remove that it's not going to get rid of the yearning for that vertical connection well that's what i was saying earlier is that because we're creating god's image it is impossible for any human being not to behave that way that's in correct other, in other words you will simply find a cheap substitute and fool yourself into thinking it's the real thing Charlie, we just got a few minutes left. It kills me because it's it's probably too much fun for me to, to uh, talk to you. And you. this is God is uh, he's trying to he's trying to humble me. You um you wrote this book, the MAGA Doctrine, but you're doing so many things right now. Let me just ask you a pointed question. It seems to me clear that this president will be reelected and that we'll probably take this. No, we've got to fight hard. But I think here's here's my big question after. This president's second term. <laughs> what do you see happening? Well, so I'll challenge it a little bit. I don't see it as clearly as you do. Yeah. I, I, I'm worried. I see a lot of Democrat enthusiasm, and uh, despite what the media might tell you. But we'll, put, we'll table that. Uh, Post-Trump, I see a collision happening in the conservative movement um, that will be the ruling class trying to – be the Empire Strikes Back. You know, episode five of Star Wars. And uh, we, we, need, we need to win that fight. When, when, when the ruling class Republicans try to take back this party, we need to stay grassroots focused and we need to empower voices that understood this moment to turn it into a movement. You're never going to get it back. I'm just here to tell you, even though it's going to be a fight, they're not going to get it back because 
people have woken up. Uh, there is there has never been anything like this. We talked about this at the beginning of the first hour, but there really has never been anything quite like this. No, this is this is absolutely unique and exceptional. And look, the Democrats are terrified because they were always worried about a Republican conservative movement that could unite the cultural. Yeah aspects together into a political movement. If the church continues to wake up, which God willing it will, half evangelicals don't vote, which just is stunning to me. And and, and by the way, it's it's one of two ways to categorize that. If you're an evangelical Christian who believes Jesus Christ is king of the world and you're not voting, it's either that you willingly don't care or you think that your voice is not going to be heard. And neither are true, by the way. Neither are correct. The left's biggest bet is a silent church. The, oh, le- yeah. the left's biggest play to take over America is a silent church that stays in its corner and comes, does routine quarterly visits to Capitol Hill and takes a snapshot with the senators. That's what they want. They do not want a raucous, energized church yeah. that is involved in public policy and involved in these issues. Well, what, what I always say and is I mean that raucous in, in, a good way. in the same way that the Democrats have taken the black vote totally for granted and done nothing for blacks in America because they, they feel like we're guaranteed that vote. Similarly, the GOP has taken serious evangelicals totally for granted and done nothing until this president. And so that, to me, there, there's a sea change happening. No doubt. And look, there are, there are victories and battles to come. Uh, there will be more Supreme Court justices that will determine the future of religious liberty in our country. They are floating out ideas in the Democrat Party to penalize churches and to shut them down if they do not practice same-sex marriages, which was always a promise that we were guaranteed well, by the left, which they yeah. violated. Well, that, and you and I predicted and, that wouldn't of happen. Course, of course. We yeah. said, oh, no, they're going to come in and they're going to program and they're going to tell people what to say and what to believe and we've been you know we've learned that that obviously is the opposite of the case yeah here here's the fundamental point is is for your listeners that are followers of christ what are we going to do to make sure the most here, here's how i break it into in 30 seconds or less number yeah. one most yeah. important thing you can do in the in your life is accept jesus christ as lord and savior the second most important thing is to make sure you can do the first thing that's it and what that means is uh you need to worry about the kind of government you have so that it really understands religious liberty because if you do not have that, and you wouldn't have that under a Hillary Clinton administration, much less, you know, Kim Jong-un administration. That's right. Uh, if you don't have that, then everything follows. We're out of time. Charlie, Charlie, uh, you got to come back. It's, it's a little bit too much. It's too Thank much you. fun to talk to you. Um, the book is The MAGA Doctrine. Um, praise the Lord. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Eric. What a great conversation that was, and we've been number one on Amazon now for a couple days. It keeps going up and down. We're up against Carrie Underwood. Uh, So please consider buying a copy, and if you guys want to get involved with Turning Point USA, go to tpusa.com. That's tpusa.com. Thanks so much for the support, everybody, and email us, freedom at charliekirk.com. Make sure you're subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show. Give us five stars. Thanks so much. From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes the next great true crimes podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you're going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, PodcastOne.com, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. 
and deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.